<laughs> Hardly been. Hi, this is Wendy Steinberg with the Coffee Celebration. Today I have a very special guest, guest, excuse me. His name is Mike Harris. He is an Emmy-winning photojournalist. He's met three presidents. He um, lives in Arizona, so he's very early today, very um, up very early to record this podcast with me. I'm so grateful. And so I just want to turn it over to Mike. Um, if you could tell our listeners how we know each other, how you got into your field and how you found success doing what you love. Yeah. So we have known each other since what mid eighties. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but have, we have, yeah. Yeah. But we're reconnecting now for uh, the first time in person, um, yeah. you know, probably since 88 when I graduated oh high school. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. yeah. What year did you graduate? Were you 89? Still 89. So you were a year out. Yeah. Yeah. So we were in B'nai B'rith uh, youth yeah. together and um, have known each other a very, very long time. It's great to see you again. Yeah. Same. Same. So how did you know where did, first of all, where did you go to college and what did you go into when you went into college? Were you thinking English, journalism? Did you know you wanted to do this? A lot of people of our generation were going into computers. Um, what was your wheelhouse back then? Yeah, so it's funny. Um, you'll probably remember um, Aton Goldman and yes. Henry Tessman. And so Aton and Henry, uh, they both wanted to go to Northern Arizona University to go to culinary school. And I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do or where I wanted to go. So I said, all right, well, let's go hang out at Northern Arizona. And we all, we all uh, were going to go there. That was the plan. So I was going there just to be with Henry and Aton, who were two of my very close friends in high school. And then Henry decided that he was going to go to a culinary school in Rhode Island. And Aton went to school in California. And so that left me by myself at Northern Arizona University, even though the only reason I had chosen that school was to kind of hang out with those guys. Right. But um, yeah, when I got there, I got into a television. Uh, I, well, first I started on a, in a radio class. And then one of my radio friends said, hey, there's a TV station over here at the college. Why don't you come hang out over there? And so I went over with him. He showed me around and we started doing TV in college. And you know, from there, that, that was just my love. Oh my gosh. See, that's so funny you said that because I went to the University of Northern Colorado because my friends went there. And it turns out that the two friends I went with dropped out and I was there by myself. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Oh my goodness. So I'm actually glad though, that it worked out that way as much, as much as I love Henry and Aton, uh, mm -hmm. I think that if all three of us had gone there together, I probably yeah. wouldn't have spread my wings the way that I did. Yeah. We've probably would have just hung out the three of us quite a bit. And I think by them not going there, that kind of freed me up to meet new people and have different experiences than I would have if they'd been there. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So when you graduated, did you go into television? Did you go into radio? Was your program global at that point to where you got a lot of experience in different aspects of audiovisual production? Like what was, what was really your concentration? Yeah, I'll talk about that in just one second. But as a side note, my brother went to UNC also. He probably would have been there a year after Mary you. did? He, yeah, oh yeah he gosh. was there. But he was only there for a year and then he transferred to NAU. So then he ended up going to school with me. But you oh didn't know God. that he was there, huh? 
I didn't know. And I took five years. I did a victory lap. So for sure, I would have been there when he was there. Yeah. Aww. So he was only there briefly, though. And then he decided to, to transfer and he came to NAU as well. But oh. let's talk about TV. So okay. um, when I when I graduated college, I had a very close friend who um, she had moved to D.C. and started working at a place called CONUS, which was a news gathering organization in, in Washington, D.C. And so she and I kind of dated a little bit. But I went out to see her and um, I met the people that she was working with and they offered me an internship. So I went there. Part of that internship was going into the uh, going to the White House one day. And um, as it turned out, it was a day when there was a uh, it was it was April Fool's Day, uh, 1993. Um, It was two days before my 23rd birthday. And um, the the that day, it happened to be a photo opportunity in the Oval Office. So. I was with a bunch of photographers. I was just an intern and I had a microphone on a boom pole that I was holding. I couldn't even really see all, all these tall photographers with cameras on their shoulders. And I'm not that tall. I'm five, nine ish. And so I was like looking through armpits, like who's in here, who's in here. And I saw Clinton and Gore and Dole and Mitchell and all those guys who were, you know, the, they were the top people in the, in the world at that time, um, you know, in politics. So uh, if, if you think that America's top in the world, those were the top in America. So therefore top in the world. Um, and so it was, it was crazy. It was amazing. Um, I didn't even know it was the Oval Office until we walked out. And I said to one of the photographers there, Hey, what room was that? <laughs> Cause it was so crammed. I couldn't really see very well. And he said, Hey man, it was the Oval Office. So that was really cool. Um, Did you get a picture with him? No, no. I was in there oh. for probably about two minutes. Um, he told some kind of joke about it was April Fool's Day, and he said something about um, he had he had a uh, some kind of meeting in, in Georgia in Russia, and um, he he joked about it being changed to Atlanta, Georgia, or something like that. Yeah, so as an April Fool's thing. So um, the other two presidents that I met, um, uh, Joe Biden was during that same time period. He was a senator, and um, I was still an intern. And there was the White House. Um, press correspondence dinner and my friend and I kind of crashed it and we showed up and we took pictures with Tom Brokaw and Barbara Walters and um, just like all these all these people and um, Senator Biden was there and he was there with Lisa Myers who was the White House correspondent for NBC at the time and I think I was more impressed with with Lisa Myers and so um, Lisa Myers ended up taking a photo of my friend and me uh, with Joe Biden. And then um, Biden took my camera and took a picture of me, uh, of my friend and me with Lisa Myers. So, so the current president once took a photo of me with uh, the NBC correspondent. So that was cool. And then, yeah. And then um, Senator Obama at the time, uh, I, I was very excited to meet him. I saw um, when he spoke at the DNC, uh, I saw it on TV. And I just thought this guy, the charisma he has, he's going to be president one day. I actually called up a very uh, conservative friend of mine and I said, hey, get a look at this guy. He's going to be president one day as he was speaking. And um, so when he came out to Arizona, he was stumping for someone who was running for governor here in Arizona. And he wasn't a huge name at the time, but I knew him from that speech and I had been paying attention to politics. So um, I was sent down as just as a videographer to, to shoot a little, you know, cover video of him and if it was possible to get an interview with him. 
And so he gave a little stump speech for the guy who was running for governor. And then it was literally two other photographers and me with our cameras here, microphone like this, saying, um, hello, Senator, thank you know, tell us about whatever. And I think I had asked him, I said, you know, you've kind of become a rock, a little bit of a rock star since your DNC speech in the political world. You know, um, how's that? How's your life now? And he said, I don't want to talk about me. I want to talk about you know, whoever was running for governor at the time. So Jim Peterson, uh, Jim, not Jim. Yeah, I think it was Jim Peterson. Anyway, so um, he then actually got on a plane. Uh, it was a Southwest flight and he flew to Denver. And the reason I know that is because my wife at the time was on that plane. And I said to her, get a look at that guy. He's going to be president one day. So she flew. He, it was just a Southwest flight. He flew with everybody else. And uh, yeah, and she was on the plane with him. So those are the three presidents that I met. I cannot believe he, he flew commercial. Oh, yeah, back then. My. Yeah. So you started off as a videographer then? But, but yeah. I, thought, I thought now you're in front of the camera, aren't you? Yeah, I do both. So um, I started off, I was a videographer for many years. And then um, I started working for the city of Glendale, Arizona about four years ago. And they gave me the opportunity to be in front of the camera as well. So I now I not only shoot and edit stories, but I also write them. And then I am sometimes in front of the camera as well, presenting them. Oh, yeah. my gosh. It's been great. I started that at I was uh, 47 years old. So it was nice to to be able to add something that I hadn't ever done before. Uh, or I'd done just just a few times in my career and to add that and kind of make a change and, you know, keep things interesting. So you've been a videographer since you graduated college until almost. almost. Yeah. So when I first got out of school, when I went to D.C., uh, my my boss at my internship moved over to the Fox affiliate. And this was when Fox was basically like the Simpsons was home that was on. They yeah. didn't have the NFL. They didn't have Fox News Channel. None of that. Wow. And um, so. Yeah, so I went to uh, the Fox affiliate in D.C. and I worked on the assignment desk, which meant I was the one telling photographers and reporters, hey, you got to go cover this, go cover that. We have a car accident here or a homicide here or whatever. So I would send them to um, to cover the stories that they covered. And then from there, I went to um, Sedona, Arizona, and I um, did some corporate video for the auto repair industry. I know nothing about cars, but I do know about video. So um, I was able to to kind of fake my way through that, I guess, uh, well enough. And then, and then I got back into news after that and started shooting video. So the re that's actually a pretty good story. I think I was, I was at uh, a TV station in Flagstaff working, just kind of doing production stuff and, you know, running the tapes for the shows when they have different stories that go in, I would put the tape in. And it was really minor stuff. I was trying to figure out where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. And I was making $5 an hour. I was working 30 hours a week, six days a week, split shifts. So I was making about $8,000 a year. And um, yeah, and I was working six days a week to do it. I had like, I would go in for the five o'clock news and then I'd have like three hours off and I'd have to go back for the 10 o'clock news. And it was just, uh, it was, it was fun living in Flagstaff and it was fun being at that station, but it was a lot of time commitment for $8,000 a year. So I would like take everyone to the bar afterwards and I'd put every, all everyone's drinks on my credit card and then I'd collect their cash so I could pay my rent. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how I paid rent back then. Um, but then uh, I um, was at the station one day and the phone rang. It was a friend of mine from college 
and uh, Garrett Evans. And Garrett said, hey, I'm the chief photographer in uh, Bakersfield, California, and I'm looking for a videographer. Are you interested? And I said, no, I don't I don't like doing that. It's that's a lot of heavy stuff and cables and all this stuff. I don't don't think that's for me. And uh, I said, just out of curiosity, what's it pay? And he said, well, it pays 18,000. I was like, 18,000, count me in, man. Yeah, I'll be rich. (laughs) So so then I moved to Bakersfield and started working for 18,000 a year and I was happy to make it. It's insane. I don't think people realize, like my first job, I made 10,000 a year. I mean, people, people now are like, Oh, if I can't get out of bed at, for at least 60, you know, and it's like, right. oh my right. gosh, we paid our dues. So yeah. you mentioned that the equipment is heavy. How has that changed now? Is it still the same sort of cumbersome equipment or has technology really streamlined it so that you're not tripping on cables or having to set up so much? Oh boy, how many hours do we have <laughs> to talk? Um, <laughs> I, I'm interested so, because I always wondered this. Yeah. yeah, it's so the answer is both yes and um, the technology has changed incredibly. Uh, when I first started, I had camera on one shoulder and then I had a recording deck on the other shoulder that would hang on the on the other shoulder with a tape in it, and then there was a cable that went and connect behind me and connected the two together. So the camera sent the signal to the record deck and it would record it. And then there was this battery belt that I would wear. It was probably 25 pounds that would power the light that was sitting on top of the camera, which was the light was this big and everything was super heavy. Um, so yes, things have gotten now. Now people use these sometimes to, to shoot video. Sometimes. Just your phone? Um, sometimes, yes. Um, so I, I have a friend who works in TV here and he works, uh, he does some undercover stuff. So whenever he needs to get into a place, you know, kind of discreetly, he doesn't take his big heavy camera, which he still has. He takes his phone and he shoots video and it goes out on TV. So, um, the answer is both the, the news stations still have cameras that are fairly heavy. And sometimes you want that kind of solid feel It, it anchors you down and, um, it stays steady. But there are also, there's so many options now. There are GoPros and phones, and they're all just different tools in the toolkit. I I shoot now with a DSLR, which is um, a smaller, you know, it's like a still camera. And it's it's very light. I have a monopod. I just pick it up and move around. It's probably added, you know, seven or eight years to to my career with my, you know, how my body feels. The joke is I'm five nine, and the joke is you tell people when, whenever someone asks, is that gear heavy? Say, yeah, I used to be six two. You know, just sitting on your shoulder all the time, just compressing it. So, oh, hundred percent. And then, and then, oh, I was going to say with with live shots that when you see reporters out doing live shots places, there used to be big trucks and satellite dishes and all this. Now there's a backpack, and and even the backpack's gotten smaller since I left news like eight or nine years ago. Um, So there's a backpack like I don't know, like maybe this big, and it connects to cell phone towers and then um, it sends the video signal over cell phone towers. So they don't even need trucks anymore. So, uh, but they do in, in a lot of news stations, they still use the heavier cameras still because they're just okay, a quality. So this was my question. So back in the day when you were completely geared up, what if something happened and you didn't get the shot or you didn't get the interview? Was it gone forever? Back in the day, it was yeah. So, all right, I uh, 
I shot one time an interview with a, there was some kind of crime. I don't remember what the crime was, but there was a profiler here who we'd been trying to get, he worked on like John Bonet Ramsey case and all this stuff. And he, we had just switched to new cameras. And so I was still trying to figure the camera out. And um, we'd been working for a few months to get an interview with this guy. And so I finally got the interview and um, I was with the reporter. I was a videographer. We shot the interview and um, we went, then we went to lunch and I was, it was a new like digital display on the camera and stuff. And I was trying to look at some of the clips that we had shot and I saw the interview and everything and I highlighted it so that I could play it back. And then um, I highlighted a couple other things. And then we got a call that there was breaking news or some house fire or something. They wanted us to go to that. So I didn't have room on my card that I was recording on. So I, I selected some clips to record, to, to delete and I hit delete. And then I realized I still had that other clip of the interview selected. So it totally wiped out that interview. And we had to beg the guy. It was so hard to get hold of. We had to beg him to um, let us go back and reshoot with him. Unfortunately, he, he was kind enough to let us do that. He, by the way, ended up becoming a murder victim several years later, uh, a few years ago. Um, I think he was, if I remember correctly, he was killed by one of his, uh, somebody that he profiled, maybe. I might be wrong about that. Oh my gosh. I never even thought of that side of your job where, oh my gosh. Oh, I got out of the car one time at a crime scene. There was somebody holed up in a house and I was lifting up the tailgate to get my camera. And all of a sudden I hear, (gasps) it it was like right next to me. And all the cops were like, you know, I can't even say what they were saying, but it said, get down, get down. And so I was crawling with my camera on the ground. It turns out the cops had chopped the bad guy who was holed up in the house, but it was literally probably 20 feet from me and shots were going off. And I mean, it was, it's, it was pretty common for us to be like out there on the street next to the, next to the officers who were walking with their guns and their bulletproof vests and stuff. And we, we have no protection, but the camera, I actually just read um, yesterday. Sorry, I'm kind of rambling, but. No, this is please. Cause I'm so interested. Go. Yeah, yesterday there was a news team. I don't know if it happened yesterday, but I read it yesterday. There was a news team in Oakland uh, in the past few days who they were um, being robbed and their um, security guard that they uh, had hired to watch them was killed, shot and killed. So it it can be a dangerous job at times, but it's also very, very cool. I've met everyone, almost everyone I ever wanted to meet. And it's, it's just been a crazy ride. Oh my God. So you didn't tell your mom, right? (laughs) (laughs) So it's funny. My mom, uh, my mom didn't watch the station I worked for, for some reason, because she would sometimes call me and say, Hey, I see you on TV uh, on channel 12. And I worked for channel three or channel five. And I'm like, well, thanks for, thanks for watching mom. (laughs) But yeah, she would see me in the background of their shots. (laughs) So mom, you should be watching our station. (laughs) But she was watching, she was watching the other people. Yeah. And so she would see me behind, you know, kind of as I was working behind the reporter from the other station. Oh, my gosh. So throughout your career, you've won awards. So how I mean, you've won Emmys, right? And yeah, I've, so, I've won regional Emmys, yes. So how what how does that how can I talk eloquently? Um, what determines that? Is it the footage? Is it? The story, how do you win an, a regional Emmy and, and get that kind of recognition? 
Yeah. So regional Emmys, you submit stories that you like, and um, there is a cost for it. So you submit it and you pay for it. And then um, there are judges from other markets that um, then judge your stuff and they either deem it worthy uh, of a nomination or worthy for an award or completely not worthy at all. So yeah, I've won five. I've been nominated 10 times. So the, I went 0 for 5 my first, and they started calling me Susan Lucci. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I went 0 for 5 on my first five, and then I won five. So, but I've also submitted things that have not gotten nominations. And I was recently, I was recently honored um, to become a member of what they call the Silver Circle for the, the regional Emmys. Um, so what that means is that you have to work in the industry for at least 25 years and um, most of them in this region. And then there's a board, you have to be nominated and then there's a board of directors that votes on it. It's a very big honor. Um, so I'm in there with some very well-known people in, in um, the region, which is uh, New Mexico, Utah, and Arizona. And then I was just a presenter at this year's Emmys. I got to present Emmy Awards, which was fun. It was the first time I've done that. Did you get a gift bag? <laughs> I did not get a gift bag, <laughs> but I should have. Oh. That would have been fun. Oh, I'm gonna that next year. that's amazing. Oh my gosh. So you've been in the field for over 25 years? Yeah. So I graduated college in 92 and yeah, whatever that math is, 29. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for pointing that out, Wendy. I'm <laughs> so sorry. Are. We are both delicate flowers. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. So yeah. the technology has changed. Has anything else in the field besides that really? I mean, I know we're on a 24 hour news cycle now. Oh yeah. And everything <laughs> has, there's like this constant inundation of information how has right. that also changed your job? So my job's a little different now that I work for a city. I'm, oh, um, okay. yeah, I'm, I'm more in the public relations area. So the, the stories that I do are good news stories. You know, we, we promote our city. Uh, I'm not going out covering crime and house fires and stuff like that. Um, I would say though, like on a big picture, it's really, uh, in some ways, it's kind of devastating what's happened to the news industry when we're talking about news. And, and the reason for that is social media. I think that um, the way that social media's algorithms work, and they work really to divide us, that um, it's, it's just been devastating. You know, now you have, there's, it's kind of cliche, but you, they say people look for affirmation instead of information now. Before news provided information, you would turn it on and you would know what was happening in your community or whatever. Now with the 24 seven cable channels, plus who are, the cable channels have their, um, you know, their tilt as, and then they are their audiences that they're catering to. And then with the algorithms from social media, everything has become affirmation. Tell me what I already think I know and what <laughs> I want to hear. And so, um, so many people don't get the truth. Now it's, um, you know, the irony is that, uh, they, you know, I think, I think the irony is that, can I get a little political here? Please? Cause <laughs> that, my next question is going to be political and okay, so I think, I think we're both the people, on the, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. The people who say fake news are the people who are providing fake news in most cases. So, um, that, that's what I think. And I think that, um, 
Like I, I have friends who are in the news business still. And during the last election cycle, because of things that politicians were saying about them uh, and about specifically about individual reporters, but also about the media in general, it became kind of dangerous for a lot of them. Some of them ended up having to wear bulletproof vests to work. These are good friends of mine. And um, it, was, it was a very scary time uh, for, for that. I have friends who work at CNN. I have friends who work at Fox News Channel. I have friends who work at MSNBC. And I will tell you, they're all the same. They're, they're all the same people, that, but they're selling different products. So the, just because they work at Fox News doesn't mean that they have that agenda. I have, I have friends at, who are at Fox News who are liberal. I have friends who have worked there who are gay. Um, I have friends who you know, work at CNN who are probably more conservative, but they, they work for the, you know, the company that pays them. And um, I don't think they're selling out either. I think that they do their best job to tell the truth. And it's really the, the news sections. Uh, I, think the, I think the news sections of all the cable channels, they probably do the best job they can telling the truth. I think it's all the commentators. It's the it's people who um, are not news people. They're commentators. But it's, it's such a blurred line now. People don't really know the difference between news and commentary. So the commentators are not held to the same standards as far as truth goes. And I think that's a big part of the problem is the blending of that and the news, because it, whether it, whether it's CNN or Fox or MSNBC, I think they're news people who are really hard news people tell the truth. And I think it's the, the commentators on all those um, places that skew it. Right. I was going to just bring up the January 6th Capitol thing, because every channel had something different. Um, or at least a different perspective. And it was scary. And, um, you know, even myself who tried to stay away from it and shield my kids a little bit from it because they were a little scared. They didn't quite know what was going on. Um, And there was just such a intensity and aggressive nature and energy that I don't think I've seen before. And um, I'm sure your colleagues were, I mean, obviously it was recorded. It was um, communicated nonstop for days, but I'm sure your colleagues were scared at some point. I mean, it's like, how could you be down there and documenting this without having some level of fear? I don't know. It's scary. There are. Um, definitely situations that are scary situations where um, people who work in news end up. Um, they end up wearing you know, gas masks and bulletproof vests and stuff like that because they're in positions where you know, that stuff is happening, where they might be hit. I, I worked with someone who was once hit with a rubber bullet um, from a, um, it was before I worked with her, but she was hit with a rubber bullet and um, it kind of injured. I think she ended up having some kind of settlement with the, the police department that shot her. Um, but yeah, it's, you, you never know in those situations. I, I have some friends who, um, I have a friend who works for the TV show cops. And I know that, um, he came out of the news business and he, you know, worked for that. That's more of an entertainment show, but one of the sound guys he worked with was killed and, uh, got, you know, was in the middle of, a um, between a police shooting and a, a suspect and he ended up getting shot and killed. So it can be a dangerous business at times. But um, it's like anything, I think, like 99% of the time, it's not. And yeah. then there's that 1% of the time where 
and you find yourself in a situation and you know it can be a little scary at times. Yeah. So your current job is now a nine to five, right? There's no split shift. For the most part. For the most part, and yeah. You can be available to your son and your fiance and you can at least have a predictable schedule. Is that right? Yeah, so- so Connor, my son is 20 now and he, he lives with his girlfriend. They've been together for five years and he oh. works for the film industry doing visual effects on shows like The Walking Dead. And um, he was just the lead visual effects artist on Michelle Obama's new uh, holiday special. And he's the lead visual effects artist on, there's a movie coming out. out I, I don't know the name of it, but he's the lead visual effects artist on that. He's worked on a show called The Boys. He worked on solos, which had Morgan Freeman and Anne Hathaway. And all. so he is, he's actually, um, I probably shouldn't say this on a podcast, but he's making more money than I am. So he's 20 <laughs> years old. <laughs> he's, he's killing it. So he is, um, he's been working there for a year and he went from a three month contract to being staff and being the lead. So where he's actually supervising people now. Okay. I need to know how this happened. Like, what is his background? Obviously, my son, who's 12, I have three kids. They can do more stuff on my iPhone than I can. And right. by the time we bought it from the iPhone store and got home, they had their facial recognition set up. They had fingerprints, <laughs> right? Yeah. They had yeah. everything going on. So he's 20. Like, what kind of education does he need? And how did he get even just that three-month contract? Because that's, that is, I want to go back to, I want to do something like, that's amazing. Yeah. So I I mean, I hope you can tell I'm proud. Of Um, course. He got into, he got into a couple of the top film schools in the country. One was in Georgia called SCAD and SCAD was going to be about $200,000 in tuition plus four years living in Georgia. And then he got into Chapman in LA which was going to be $280,000 for the four years plus living in LA. And so he, um, he, he did some research and he found a school in Vancouver, Canada that uh, just focused on what he wanted to do, which was film compositing, visual effects, film compositing. That's all they did. There was no history of science and math. It was just nine to five, five days a week. It was like a job for one year, nine to five, five days a week. It's called Lost Boys. And it's up in Vancouver. It's a private school. And that's all I do. Um, and this, he started there uh, in September. I'm so bad with years, two years ago. And then in um, 19. And then uh, so right before the pandemic hit. Um, so for the first um, for eight, eight months or so, he was in the school. And then the pandemic hit and he ended up working out of his 300 square foot apartment that he was renting um, for school. But it was eight to five, five days a week, just doing specifically what he wanted to do. And he got out and he came back to my house. He was actually, this was, this was his bedroom. It's now my music room. I love it. it. And so um, he, uh, he was working out of this room right here, working on the walking dead and, working on um, Grace and Frankie and he was working on a show called Superstore. And so he was doing all of that. Uh, he sent out a, a several resumes and only one place got back to him and they hired him. They gave him a three month contract. He made $15 an hour and um, for three months. And then after three months, they were like, yeah, we're extending you to the end of the year. 
And then like a month later, they're like, yeah, we want you to be a lead. And then um, a month after that, they said, yeah, we want you, or a few months after that, they said, we want you to be staff. So he's now staff. He just got his first holiday off this week, which was nice. Paid holiday. He's like, do you know they pay me to take the day off? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so it was very exciting for him. Yeah. So he is doing great and I'm super proud of him. And he also, um, you know, his school cost us in American money. It was a little more Canadian, but in American dollars, it equated to $30,000 and about $10,000 for living expenses um, for the year in Canada. So for forty dollars to $45,000, he got his education and he got a job. Like I said, he's, um, you know, literally going to make more money than I do next year. So um, he's, yeah, so he's doing great. I am so excited for him because, you know, in my mind, it's our generation where you like get one job, you work at it for 40 years, you get your watch and you go to Florida. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I'm learning now too, that there can be many different things that we all can do. We're only in our fifties, right? We have another how many years to go. And, and we can do anything that we want. And um, I recently took my son to this thing called Scribble Scrabble. And it's these illustrators from like the odd one out and all these different like cartoons, not cartoons. I don't even know what they are, YouTube things. And they have like 17 million subscribers, you know, just by existing, they cash in. And it's just a completely different world on how you can make a living. I mean, you could sit at Starbucks for two hours and make $50,000. You know, it's, it's just a completely, I don't even know how to explain it. You know, I used to complain to Connor, get off your computer, go out and play soccer or whatever, but stop playing video games. But now people who play video games, that's a career. Yeah. 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 A lot of the students that I work with, um, they want to be, they want to design computer games. You know, my middle son, who's 15, he wants to be a Lego engineer. That's all he wants to do is build Legos. That's Um, what he should do. You know what? He's so fun. He's, he has memorized all the algorithms for the Rubik's cubes. And so I bought him one Hanukkah, a 10 by 10, and they're not cheap. And so I was walking past his bedroom. He had completely taken it apart so that he could see how it's how it works. And then he re, he put it back together. But I was just like, that was $50. You just took apart this. And I was just like mind blown. And it's just, um, I'm learning a lot as a parent too, that it doesn't have to be a certain way. And your son's success just really speaks to that. And that's phenomenal. Yeah. I was worried when he decided not to go to a traditional college, I was worried Mm -hmm. about it. I said, what if you, what if you change careers at some point and people are asking you, do you have your degree? He doesn't have a degree. He has a diploma from this school. Yeah. But um, as long as, you know, as long as he stays in this field, he is going to just like, I, I will not be surprised at all. I'll get this on the record. If he, if he wins Oscars, you know, for visual effects down the road. He's one of the youngest people in the world doing what he does and he's, he's uh, excelling at it. So it's very exciting. Oh, that's amazing. He already, he won two student Emmys um, with two friends of his uh, before he left for um, Vancouver, he um, put together a um, uh, public service announcement 
uh, with video uh, and he shot and edited it because I had taught him some things, you know, as while he was growing up. And so he, uh, he has two student Emmy awards from the same organization that I got my Emmys from. So that is phenomenal. Plus if oh I can just practice, he also, he also won the, it was like almost like the character award for his hockey team in high school, which is, they call it the mountain lion award, which they give to one person who exemplifies what the program should be and be about. And so yeah. he's got good character. He's got, um, I, I love his, uh, girlfriend who he's had for five years and their family they're they've become our family and um so yeah i'm very very proud and very happy with you know, we all want our kids to do better than that's than it we do maybe that's not when it. they're 20 but, <laughs> but i don't no. pay your dues oh my goodness I, but you know what? of course of course i'm thrilled as yeah. a parent you know you raised really a good person and he's dating a good person and you know, he's happy and successful. And really that's the, that's the barometer that every parent wants is yeah. just to see this well-adjusted, you know, happy person. And, you know, his success is your success because you cultivated that. And so that's just lovely. And same, sure, same for your, you and your, same for you and your kids. It's fun to oh my it. gosh. They're delish. They're delish. They're yeah. a little younger, <laughs> but you know, you know, at least they're alive right now. That's good. Um, uh, right. So, but I know you also have a passion for hiking. So on Facebook, I see you had a transformation. Okay. So I don't know if it, if you want me to go into this or not, but you kind of transform yourself physically. And then, I don't know, it, it happened professionally too, I think. And yeah. you're climbing and at like the butt crack of dawn, like what, what motivated you to kind of start on that path to not only, you know, change yourself from the inside out? Yeah. So first of all, I think in the last couple of years, I've kind of been transforming back the other way. <laughs> but I'm hoping to try to get back to back to where I was. Yeah. It's all I, good. Have a, I have a wide array of, of clothing sizes in my closet. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was, I got, um, pretty heavy for, for me. And, um, I, I, I was in a situation, um, probably 13 years ago or so where I started having panic attacks and, um, they were brought on by a couple different things, but I, the only way that I could get through the panic attack was to go out and hike. Uh, I just needed to do something physical so that I could, you know, when you're kind of, when you can't breathe on a mountain, that's what you focus on is climbing and breathing and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I, it was a way for me to deal with some, um, I don't know if you would call it mental health issues I was having at the time, panic attacks, I guess that's probably what they are, anxiety and uh, mental health issues. And so I started hiking to kind of get over those. And um, I found that I really liked it. I originally, <laughs> originally dropped about 50 pounds um, and I kept it off for eight or nine years. And then uh, when I got divorced, I started dating and dating means food and drink. And so, yeah, it's the last, the last few years um, I've put some weight back on that I'm working to take off again. But uh, yeah, I do still, no matter which weight I am, I love hiking. And I I moved to the place where I am now specifically. Um, one of the things I love about it is it's less than a mile from the hiking trail. And I have a very good friend who lives a mile and a half away. So we hike together all the time. You probably see him uh, on hikes I with do. me. His name's Todd. And then um, Jenny, my fiance, also likes to hike. So 
um, the three of us hike or Todd and I will hike when Jenny's working. She's a musician. And um, so, or, and she's also a yoga instructor. So when she's either teaching or singing, sometimes Todd and I will hike uh, or the three of us will hike or just Jenny and I. Yeah. You, so. Did you meet her on the trail? No, I met her on Facebook dating. Oh, yeah. it works. Okay. That's <laughs> great. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I just love this. I love how um, your life has, has really become just really happy and whole and you're so successful and um, it just really, it, it's good. So good to talk to you and kind of hear about your success and how proud you are of your son. And here you have this um, upcoming wedding to look forward to. Um, I'm sure your parents are thrilled. Yeah, they are. Yeah. They, yeah. They love my fiance. She, um, she really from the start made an effort to, um, be family with them and they, yeah, they adore her and, you know, she adores them. Uh, my dad's been sick. Uh, he has terminal cancer, which he's, he was diagnosed about three years ago and, um, they gave him a year to live. So he's still, um, I always say still waking up on the right side of the dirt. So that's good. Um, that's good. Yeah, so, and he actually, he goes out and he walks like a mile, a mile and a half, um, you know, a day. So he's doing great. And, um, we're very excited that, one reason, you know, we, we are having the, um, the wedding in February, uh, it was a short engagement, but we really want him, uh, hopefully he'll be here for many more years, but, um, we really yeah. want him to, uh, be a part of it because he and Jenny are, are so close and my mom too. So we're going to see them tonight for the first night of Hanukkah. We go Yay! and my son and his girlfriend, we all go to my parents' house and light the menorah and, uh, we'll do that together tonight. So maybe you'll even see a photo on Facebook. From I that. can't wait. <laughs> I live vicariously yeah. <laughs> through all my friends. So that's right. lovely. Yeah. So. so that's very exciting. And uh, we picked a cool place. Like we, we, it's a second marriage for both of us and we both want to do something fun. So we're getting married in this really cool, you know, pretty Japanese friendship garden, but then we're having um, the reception at a place called the deuce out here. And it's got like a boxing ring in it. And it's got um, all these games, foosball and a, it's got a, um, shuffle all these different things it's just a really cool place it's a bar it's got food trucks around like the restaurant inside the bar is a food truck it's really cool it's very it used to be a warehouse um, during prohibition it was a produce place and then at night it would be a speakeasy so yeah so it's really i love it oh my gosh if i ever get married again um one thing is i want just um a mexican buffet I just love Mexican food. I want a DJ playing 80s music and just have like the best time. You know, Perfect. you get caught up in your mind with that first wedding. You're like, it has to be a certain way. And, you know, we both have Jewish traditions in our background. And, you know, sometimes you have to just um, be who you are, let go and enjoy it. So, so Jenny, it's funny you bring that up. Jenny's not Jewish. Um, neither was my first wife, but Jenny's not Jewish, but she has always wanted a Jewish wedding, I guess. So she, um, yeah, she was in the jazz singer when she was younger and stuff like that. And so she, awesome. always, she loves the Jewish traditions. She's very, very, very excited about me stomping on the glass. And um, awesome. yes, yeah, so we have a, uh, we have a good Jewish friend of ours who um, he's not a rabbi, but he's studying to be a rabbi. He was also Connor's hockey coach, his first hockey coach, and he is a was his bar mitzvah tutor, and awesome. so he, yeah, so he's the one doing the ceremony, and uh, he's like been a part of my family since basically he started yeah. coaching Connor 
about seven or eight years ago. And uh, yeah, and Jenny, it was Jenny's idea. She, um, she said, I want him to do it. And she'd never even met him. She just had heard about him and said, I want him to do the ceremony. So yeah, we're doing a lot of the Jewish traditions, but we're also, we also want to just have a fun time. We're not spending, exactly. a lot, here's another thing. We're not spending a lot of money on a photographer, ironically, because I'm, I, you know, I do photos and videos and stuff. Uh, to me, the, you know, when we had photos from the first wedding, I didn't ever look at them. They cost thousands and thousands of dollars. And so we had a little, you know, a few on the wall for a while, uh, but like, I just, I have enough friends who have phones and cameras yeah. who are decent photographers and they'll take photos and we'll, yeah. we'll be happy with whatever we get as far as that goes. We just want to have a fun wedding. And that's all that matters. You know, when I hear, um, and I'm Orthodox, like I've become observant in my faith, but you know, when you find a good person and someone who compliments you so much, like you can't give that up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like yeah. life is so short and life is so hard in different areas that if you find a partner that compliments you and brings out the best in you, you know what I mean? It's like worth every penny, you know, it's like, <laughs> I just, I love that. I love that. Whether she's Jewish or not, she's obviously made you happy and um, she adores your family and there's nothing better. There's really nothing better than the honor she gives your parents, the love she gives your son. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I just, I, I can't, you know, there's too much other, what's the word, Michigas that gets caught up in things and, you know, you found your partner and that's amazing. Yeah. And she and I have very, very um, different points of view on, on some things like, you know, she's, she's a yoga instructor. She's kind of into the, some of the more, um, let's say less, I, I don't know how to put it, but um, existential she's, stuff. Yeah, she's, like She's more open-minded to things um, existing. And I am very, I'm more closed-minded about things. And um, I'm not a strong believer in, in a lot of things that I can't see or touch or feel or, right. you know, so, and she is like, even, um, like, like Reiki, for instance, you know, which is a healing thing. Like it's something that I don't think I believe in so much, but she does, you know, we're, we have those differences, but the things that we have in common, um, outweigh those things quite a bit. And we respect 100%. each other's beliefs about things. Yeah. Um, we both love hiking and we both love cooking together and we both love laughing together and um, yeah. we both love stand up comedy and music. So there are just so many things that we enjoy together that um, to have difference of opinions, you don't want someone just like you. Mm. Yeah. No, you so, don't. Yeah. No, it doesn't always work out. It's I good to have someone who has that. common, right. It's good to have yeah. someone who has common interests and, and things that you enjoy doing together, but yeah, to have, to have their own beliefs also is good. I think. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. So tell me, tell me about how, how did you start this podcast? What was, what was going on? What oh you... my goodness. So, um, so I actually, um, I was recently separated from my, uh, then husband. I was married for 17 and a half years and my kids and I moved into this really small apartment, um, two bedrooms. It was about 900 square feet. And, um, the pandemic hit and we're just like, ah, and, um, I took, um, an online coaching class from Kathy Heller 
and just really wanted to dig deep again because I don't know if this happened with you in your divorce, but you know, you kind of come out diminished, a little scarred, you kind of lose yourself a little bit. And the person that you might remember from BBYO, the vibrant, outgoing, you know, um, I don't know, Wendy, who was like on the regional board, international, whatever I did, um, was really mollified. I just, I didn't exist anymore. And so I wanted to find her and I've been a college administrator for over 25 years. And at first the take on the podcast was a little bit more about, you know, your college process. How did you pick where you wanted to go? what did you want to do? But then I found that people were just really rigid. They thought it was more serious than it was. And I've been drinking coffee since I was 10. I love coffee. If you don't know all my posts, I mean, it's like, I know, right. It's like, it's an elixir of life. And so um, I'm the kind of person who could drink coffee at 10 PM and still go to sleep. So, I mean, um, and so I just wanted to pair celebrating people with, you know, my love of coffee and highlighting other people's success and journeys because life is so hard. You know, I have a son who has special needs and he, I'm his guardian because he can't make decisions for himself. He's 18 and, um, you know, he has an intellectual disability and he has some other challenges. And then I have two other boys and, you know, it's just, I don't know if you know, but like I've, I've lost my siblings, I've lost my parents and it's just me and life is just hard. And so I love talking to people about their, their journey and how, you know, success has found them, what lights them up, um, you know, that sort of thing, because, you know, we always hear about the bad. You know, we always go to the funeral. Why do we always not go to the wedding? You know, why do we put off all the good stuff? Um, Cause you know, you always go to the funeral, um, you know, metaphorically. And yeah. so I've kind of had a paradigm shift and I, and I want to start celebrating um, people a little bit more. And, you know, it's, it's very messy right now. Like when you, I mean, you're a gifted, you know, videographer, when you hear this, you'll be like, oh, she should have edited that and that. I don't really know that my 12 year old will help me. And so, um, you know, I'm doing things a little raw and I'm just having fun with it and um, just really want people to, you know, know that there's happiness out there. I love that you um, chose this during the pandemic. You said you downsized after your your separation Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then the pandemic hit. And I love that you are connecting with people in a way. Are you are you in a place where the pandemic is like where people are all masked up and social distancing and all that? Because in Arizona, it's almost as if the pandemic doesn't exist. I mean, it's you. We go out. Um, I mean, I've, I'm vaccinated, which was very important. I, I want to get a booster. My parents are both vaccinated and boosted. Everyone in my circle, for the most part, is vaccinated. Um, and then I was very um, 
rigid the first probably four or five months. I think I went five months without touching another human being. And it was right after my divorce finalized. And I just moved into, I downsized. My house is about 1300 square feet. I have a little patio. I went from a 2,500 square foot with a quarter acre to um, this 1300 square foot, two story with a little patio. And I share a driveway with five other homes. And, you know, it's like a little, it's almost like a condo, but it's, it's not, but it's like similar. And so um, it's something that Jenny and I've talked about. We, we would like a one story because as we get older, we would probably like to have a one story house. And we have an older dog, Chihuahua, who can't get up and down the stairs as easily. And we don't have a place like a for a dog door and stuff like that. But, but for us, having a smaller place where it's just kind of turnkey. And um, so I'm going all over the place. We'll talk okay. about the pandemic. Also, but having this smaller place where it's not a lot to take care of and we can go travel and enjoy our lives um, and not worry about trying to impress people with uh, having a big home yeah. um, and uh, having that much to take care of. It's, it's much simpler life for us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we still do like to entertain. As you can see on, on the wall here, these all of our friends, when they come over, they sign our wall. And so um, this, it's a chalkboard wall. So we painted it. We're in the music room here. And then oh, I love it. Chalkboard wall has all of our friends' signatures on it. So when they come over, they sign the wall. And that's what that is. That's awesome. So, yeah. So um, even though we've downsized, we still like to entertain and have people over. But that, yeah. that's the one thing we miss is having a place that's big enough to do that. So it's possible we'll go bigger again a little bit. But, um, you know, when, when you said, you know, you moved into a smaller apartment and stuff, and it's a way to connect to people. I thought that's, you know, that's a, it's a, this is a great way to do it. And thank, thankfully the pandemic hit during a, a time when we have things like zoom, right? Right. Right. But I, I did wish want to I, get back to, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I wish I had bought stock um, yeah, right. in zoom. Right. So I live in a community. It's, it's an Orthodox community. And unfortunately um, it wasn't the pandemic uh, wasn't taken as seriously Mm -hmm. as it could have. Now, I took it seriously. My ex-husband took it seriously. Um, I am vaccinated. I just got my booster Wednesday. I'm a little, ooh. Um, <laughs> my kids are all vaccinated. Um, we still wear masks everywhere we go. Um, we're very uh, selective as to whose house we visit and where my kids have play dates. Um, but you know, I recently bought them a house. I, so I bought a house in May and it's a smaller house and I'm very selective. If you're not vaccinated, you really can't come in my house, you know, not to be that person, but I'm that person. And, um, you know, it's, it's just kind of part of the, what I'm doing. So yeah. it's, it's so hard now, you know, I, we're having our wedding in February and um, there are several people that we're inviting who are not vaccinated. Um, but we're also making sure to ask them. Uh, I just got a low battery warning, even though my, I thought my computer was plugged in. So, oh no. Okay. Hold on. Let me, uh, should be plugged in. Let me just check. I'm going to plug it in real fast again. Okay. No worries. Okay. We are waiting going to be amazing this is great anyway um yeah and so you know with my dad's condition hopefully yeah. this battery won't die um with my dad's condition and 
Um, and then I have, you know, some of my family members are, are very concerned. They live, you know, on the East coast or something where people still wear masks all the time. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard balance. Like I, I have family members who may not feel comfortable coming to the wedding and I don't blame them. It's right. that's, I, I totally understand. And then I'm also concerned for my parents, you know, who are getting up there and, and my fiance's parents are in their eighties. And so it's, I, I don't know how to balance it. It's very, very difficult. Um, other than, than to, to tell people like, if you're sick, stay home or, you know, and then just kind of, I, I know with my dad specifically, like he doesn't want to, he, he got his cancer diagnosis and then he basically stayed away from people for a year. You know, you want to, do you want to end your life away from people alone, not doing things, you know, spend your last however many years you have doing by yourself. It's, it's a very, they're very difficult decisions. And I know for him, like he wants, he's going to come to the wedding and he's going to, uh, there's, that's, there's no question about it. And, you know, for him, he'll, he'll tell you if I get COVID and die, I get COVID and die. That's what my dad would say. Right. So I'm not going to, not going to sit at home and, and, um, you know, be, uh, but he's also triple vaccinated. Right. So he's taking, he takes it seriously, but he also doesn't want to spend whatever time he has left isolated and alone. And, um, and, but, and that's the thing for all of us. Like we, we never know how much time we have left and, um, it, it's a really hard balance because COVID is a very serious pandemic. It's a very serious issue and illness and something not to be taken lightly, but it's also, there's gotta be some kind of balance with, with not giving up your life, not being scared. I think it's, it's like everything, you know, like there's so many things to be scared of, but if you constantly live scared, you're not really living. But, but that doesn't mean you do dumb things like, right. I'm not going to jump out of an airplane without a parachute because I'm like, right. Hey, this is fun. Right. So yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's hard to find. I think the hardest part for me in this whole COVID thing is finding a balance, yeah. right. Cause I, I had a lot of friends who weren't vaccinated or didn't believe in it or whatever. And, um, and then it was like, well, do I, so if, so my fiance has friends who are not and family who weren't vaccinated in the beginning. Her roommate wasn't vaccinated when we were dating. So then I was like, well, do I hang out with her if she's around someone who's not vaccinated or, you know, it's, it's all these questions. Like yeah. it's just, it's just a very hard time to navigate right now. It is. It is. I love that you have the wedding sooner though, for your dad. Um, you know, that is just such a, a generous gift you're giving him. I love that because um, he'll be in those pictures and it'll be something to really remember. So, and honestly, that was something that that Jenny decided. Jenny always, every day she asks about my dad. She talks to my parents more than I do. And my dad has no patience (laughs) for talking to me on the phone, but he'll talk to her on the phone. (laughs) So, Oh my God. I um, love that. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. So um, yeah, we, uh, we spent the day with my parents a few weeks ago. My dad wasn't feeling well and his, he was having some, just, he was just having a bad day. He was coughing a lot, not having a good day as, as sometimes happens. And um, when we were driving home from their house, Jenny was crying and, um, and she didn't understand. I wasn't crying. I said, yeah, it's, it's very difficult. And I said, but I choose to be sad when it's time to be sad. And I choose to be, happy until it's time to be sad. So that's, that's kind of where I come at it, but she's, you know, she's much more emotional than I am. Yeah. And it's, it's beautiful that she has such a connection 
to your family. You yeah. know, so many times we marry and there's just not a connection. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a whole other podcast. And then not with right. coffee, that's with adult beverages. <laughs> so <Right. laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm really glad you took this time to talk. It's been forever. So much fun. And I just really love, I love how your son is successful. You're successful. It's like, you've met three presidents. I'm like, oh my goodness. That's so cool. And then you finally finally found true love. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I will say this about like meeting, meeting people who are famous or whatever. I'll say this. It's, it's fun and it's interesting and it's, uh, it's cool. But at the same time, like when I worked in DC, I, I met anybody who was anybody and, um, and I was there and I wasn't making much money and I was kind of living, you know, going out to the bars after work every night, just not, it wasn't like the the right life. And I started thinking about it in terms of, do I want to meet all these people who are doing really great things? Or do I want to become a person who does really fun and great things? And so um, I'm not famous. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm, I'm nothing, nothing like that. But I, I decided that I would, as much as I enjoyed meeting famous people, and I still relish in it a little bit sometimes, depending on the person, but um, I still like want to have my own experiences and not idolize famous people. Like, like I would rather have my own experiences and stories to tell. Yeah. Which is, um, to me more important that I'm living, I'm living uh, my life and not just watching people live their lives. Yeah. The most important person I'm, our most famous person I met was Darth Vader in 1978 <laughs> at the mall. <laughs> sure. It was not the real guy dressed in the costume, but I like to tell everybody that I met Darth Vader. 1978. Anyway. On one of my hikes, one of my hikes in the biggest mountain here in, in the Valley in Phoenix, where I am is uh, Spider-Man was at the top. <laughs> Someone dressed as Spider-Man. Oh my and, gosh. Yeah, that so was so fun. fun to take a picture with him. So fun. I'm really so happy for you. I'm really happy for you, Mike. Absolutely. You. you deserve everything good. You really, really do. Thank you. Absolutely. And so do you. Thanks you so well. much. Thanks for taking yeah. this time. Okay. And um, I'll follow up with you. Um, a little bit later because I'll want to get a picture and when I'm ready to post it and just be um, a little, uh, I guess, understanding if it doesn't sound as as good as one of your things, you know? Oh, I mean? no, I'm sure it'll be awesome. <laughs> I'm <laughs> okay. looking forward to it. Thank you yeah. so much. All right. All right. Be well. Bye. Be well.